Hi everyone, this is Paige coming to you with a quick announcement. Just wanted to let everybody know that the episode that you are about to hear was recorded before the coronavirus pandemic became in full swing here in Pennsylvania. So Jess and I are not currently meeting up together. We are practicing social distancing and we are trying to be as cautious as we can with the current situation that we are in. And we just want to offer our encouragement and support to everyone out there who is facing this pandemic at this moment. We want to say that we are thinking about everyone who has been personally affected by this and those who are on the front lines. We just want to send all the love and support that we can. Again, just want to remind everyone that Jess and I are no longer meeting up together and we encourage everyone to take this pandemic very seriously and please practice social distancing. Please enjoy the following episode and we wish you all health and safety. We are live. Hello. Hi. Welcome to Endeavor. I'm Paige. I'm Jess. <laughs> Hi, Jess. Long time no see. Yeah. Yeah. So we just ate some Chinese food. <laughs> we recorded our last episode, then we went out to get some Chinese, and now we're back again for part two. So here we are. You had to wait a whole week, though. Sucks to be you. <laughs> So during our break, we realized that I never gave a quote (laughs) (laughs) at the beginning of the last episode. But fantastically, when we went to get Chinese food, uh, Jess had a fortune cookie and it had a great fortune, which applies to what we're talking about, more or less. So the fortune cookie says to us, from listening comes wisdom and from speaking repentance and what are you getting at that with Uh, what are you getting at that i just wanted to put that out there in case i insulted any twilight fans last episode (laughs) (laughs) and if in the future i offend anyone and their stories that they love and cherish i apologize this is just my opinion and i get very heated sometimes and i am very sorry because I understand loving something with all your heart and not being willing to see its flaws. (laughs) (laughs) That was quite the backhanded apology. (laughs) It's true because I like some pretty stupid stuff too. (laughs) No, I'm not doing a very good job. (laughs) Paige isn't the greatest at apologizing on this podcast. I'm trying. We are gearing up for some hashtag page rage. All righty, guys, here we go. So we left off our last episode talking about archetypes. So recap, archetypes are, as I kind of described, like a giant filing cabinet. Each drawer has a different title to it. And when you open up the drawer, you see a whole bunch of people in there. So it's categorizing people kind of by their personalities. It's just like really surface level categories, correct? Correct me if I'm for, wrong. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. Okay. That's where we're going to start because... Do you want to give some examples of archetypes? Yeah, I have a list. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> you do. I should have You've done this. You've got so many papers. I have so many papers. Sorry if there is rustling going on in the background. 
So Jennifer Ellis is an author, and this is from a blog that she wrote. It's about women archetypes. So that's what this list is composed of. Okay. So the first one is the Amazon or the Crusader. Can you think of any examples of this, Jess? The Amazon and the Crusader are the same character? It's the same type of thing. I'm not sure what Crusader is coming from. Let me read the description. Powerful women who are competitive and still identify with feminism and nature, independent, quirky, confident. The male counterpart is the warrior. Okay. Okay. So some examples that she lists are, this is the obvious one that I thought of just when I heard the Amazon, is Wonder Woman. Yeah. Okay. Wonder Woman, Buffy, Merida, Katniss Everdeen are all considered this archetype. Okay. Okay. So filing cabinet, file those under the Amazon, (laughs) (laughs) the Crusader. All right. Second one is interesting. This is a three-parter. The farmer's daughter, darn it. (laughs) The father's daughter, the librarian, and the spinster. These are all the same. These are all the same category. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I thought this was interesting. So its description is studious and intelligent women who aligns themselves with powerful men, but may not get along with women, likes to be in control, data-oriented introvert, who doesn't know how to connect with other people, used to looking out for herself. That's not a description I would have expected from for farmer's girl. Farmer's daughter. Father's daughter? You said farmer's daughter. <laughs> well, I messed up the first time. <laughs> Father's daughter. Okay, the I librarian, got I was so confused. The spinster, sorry. <laughs> I don't really know why that's in there. I could understand the librarian and the spinster having that stereotype. But I not thought the it was going to say that these like, are everyone's characters. a father's daughter if you're a girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's not well, everyone. <laughs> I thought it was going to say things like this is the nerdy girl who. Well, it's a, it says studious and intelligent woman, but that align themselves with men. Who to use align, them? What? Who align themselves with powerful men, but may not get along with other women. Likes to be in control, data-oriented introvert, who doesn't know how to connect with other people. So the first example that they have is Hermione Granger, which that does kind of describe her. Yeah. And then they have Annabeth from Percy Jackson. I don't know that series very well, but that's their other example. Hmm. So, Interesting. The male counterpart is the professor, the recluse, or the computer geek, which I see that. Uh Okay. All right. So then number three is the nurturer, the good wife, or the martyr. This is described as tied up in caring for others, particularly children, sacrificing themselves to help others, often a supporting character. And some examples are Mrs. Frisbee from Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. What? <laughs> you don't know who Mrs. Frisbee is? Where's Caitlin? Mrs. I feel like she would know. Mrs. Caitlin, yeah, she would know this. And that, yep, poor Mrs. Frisbee. All she can do the whole movie is care about poor Timmy, who's dying of pneumonia, or I don't know what it is. Like, Mrs. Frisbee has no life of her own. Her life is her children, which is a wonderful thing but it's just like where is her characterization is there ever a story written with this person as the protagonist like the main protagonist hmm. you, you did just say it's often a supporting character yeah i'm just thinking like is that kind of a character ever made a protagonist wow 
Because that would be kind of boring. Well, if it's not developed, yes, I agree. I feel like there is. There has to be a mother out there who's a main character. I'm talking about the main character. The like main the character. The stories about her. What's the male counterpart? Uh, the male counterpart is the protector. Why can't they just say protector for men and fe- right? male and female? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're getting into mm-hmm. feeling that page rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why? Why what, is what the were woman the women's called? The women are something wife. The good wife. Mm-hmm. The nurturer or the martyr. it's really bugging me that i can't think of a female protagonist who's a mother who's the main protagonist in a story somebody out there is shouting it yeah (laughs) i feel like there's gotta be all right number four is the boss oh wait oh wait what Uh, say it i don't know i don't know if this is maybe this person would fall under a different category better but have you seen you probably haven't the hiding place or a hiding place? No, a quiet place. Oh, that's that one with uh, Jim from The Office. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. And um, what's her name? Emily Blunt. Emily and John Blunt. John Krasinski. Krins- yeah. So Krins- Emily Emily Blunt is like a mother, and she's protecting her family. Uh huh. Oh, you know who else? That scary movie on Netflix, Bird Box. Have you seen that? I have not seen that. Oh, don't watch it. <laughs> Gosh, is it too spicy for you? It's a little, <laughs> a little spicy. <laughs> I know it I, doesn't fall into that category. I relate you being. <laughs> I relate you not liking scary movies to not liking spicy food. Like those. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what I'm. I thought. To. I think I described Fifty Shades of Grey as spicy you did. in the last that, that's episode. Not, that's not what I meant. <laughs> oh, that's what I thought you meant. I was like, no, it's not that kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're. I think we we can get into this later. I. I mean, I don't think the lady from Bird Box is. I mean, she's a decent character, and I think she goes across several archetypes, which I think we're going to talk about that later. That's a good thing is to delve into, yeah. to expand over several archetypes. Because then um, you no longer fit into one category. Right. Yeah. Divergent. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Um, so the next one is the boss, the matriarch, or the queen bee. This is a decisive leader, sometimes inflexible, workaholic, sometimes arrogant, if character is a mother and most of her management resolves, revolves around her family, then she can be called the matriarch. So there are examples. Molly no, Molly Weasley was actually the last one. The nurturer, the good wife, the martyr. So you see Molly Weasley more as the boss, the matriarch, the queen bee. I think so. I kind of agree. I kind of feel like between her and her husband, she's the boss. I agree with that completely. <laughs> Don't mess with Molly Weasley. <laughs> Their examples for this one, though, are, and I don't know any of these, Jane Way from Star Trek, Murphy Brown, Jean Grey from X-Men. I don't know any of those, unfortunately. Me neither. I just didn't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, know, I know who Jean is from X-Men, but I don't know a whole lot about her. I don't watch Star Trek. I don't know who Murphy Brown is. Sorry, Murphy <laughs> Brown fans. <laughs> uh, the male counterpart for this is the chief, the boss, the businessman, or the king. Hmm. Okay, so that goes pretty hand in hand. Like, 
Okay, but why is they there the king the and then there's the queen bee? Why do they got to add a bee to it? Ooh. Mm. Because that has like a bad stereotype, the queen bee, because then you're like flighty and like trying to think of bee puns. <laughs> <laughs> Little. Little. <laughs> stingy. <laughs> Honey. Honey. Yeah. I feel like a queen bee is like, has more of a stereotype than just a king. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like a busybody like buzzing around. Yeah, annoying. Annoying. That's it. Yeah, the queen bee is annoying because it's a bee. Ooh. But if you're a man, you get to be the king, the just, businessman, yeah. the boss. Isn't that nice? <laughs> 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 All right, number five. The spunky kid, the plucky girl, or the girl next door. The spunky kid and the girl next door are in the same. I don't like that. What? <laughs> Description is, has a good attitude and is always ready to roll up her sleeves to help. I feel like this is you. <laughs> Team player. Supportive and reliable, often in the best friend role, but also often the protagonist. <laughs> Some of their examples are Marianne from Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Girl next door. Yep. Uh, Kaylee from Firefly and Meg Ryan in Sleepless in Seattle. Hmm. I feel like a lot of chick flicks, the protagonist is kind of this yeah. character. Agreed. Yeah. I'm thinking like this has Amanda Bynes written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> like the spunky plucky girl. Yeah. Yeah. The male counterparts for this one is the everyman. The best friend and the sidekick. Mm, the sidekick makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number six is the seductress or the femme fatale. Yeah. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Never heard that phrase before. That's the dangerous, sexy woman that you got to stay away because she's evil because she's sexy. The dominatrix. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And I was listening to a video about this that... Often women who are sexy are the villains because that's seen as like a vile, evil thing. Yeah. Especially way back in the day. Now it's seen as like this weird empowerment, but also like alluring and divisive. Dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah, they still, yeah, they still put that person under that dangerous category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So the description for this is sexually driven and attractive to men, can be manipulative, not often the main character. That's true, I think. It's often the villain or the antagonist. Mm -hmm. The examples that they give are Samantha on Sex in the City, Daphne on Scooby-Doo, <laughs> Scary, dangerous, sexy Daphne. <laughs> the one who always gets kidnapped. Weird. It has to be saved by somebody else. She, I mean, I see why they put her in that category, but she doesn't quite belong there. I feel there. like there's another category coming up that she fits into way better. But that's what they give for this one. And then Ginger on Gilligan's Island. Also, um, Irene Adler fits under this, at least yes. in the new BBC version of Sherlock. I think these women are oft often very objectified, too. Mm -hmm. It's a whole mm -hmm. other topic. <sighs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> the male counterpart to this one is the bad boy or the woman's man. Makes sense, I guess. Not to open this can of worms, but if you're the guy and you're the woman's man, you're like, hey, look at that guy. And if you're like the woman who's like 
sleeping around or whatever, then she's evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because look at just look at the terms here. Like the male counterparts are the bad boy, the woman's man, but the female ones are like there's so much more weight to these descriptions, the seductress, the femme fatale. Like there's so much more weight to those descriptions than the bad boy or the woman's man. Man. <laughs> Whoa. Hello. Hello. Hello, Governor. Welcome to Linda Woman's Man. Hashtag page rage. She turns into a British woman. Get out. Governor. I'm sorry if we're offending any of our British. 1% of our listeners are British. I'm really sorry. Anchor tells us we have like one British listener. Whoever you are, we love you. <laughs> Good day, mate. Oh, that's Australian. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, We're not doing On this it. episode of Page Offends, everyone. <laughs> no. Jeez. There was one episode a while back I tried so hard not to offend everyone. Now here we are. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Number seven is the mystic... The free spirit and the quirky misfit. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking like the the wise old man type of a thing, or is there another category for that? Um Trelawney from Harry Potter. Okay. Yeah. I don't want all my examples to be here. <laughs> Well, Harry Potter has some great versatile characters. Mm -hmm. The description for this is free-spirited, calm and gentle, creative, can be the crazy and the comic relief, original and playful. And some examples are Luna Lovegood from Harry Potter, Phoebe from Friends, (laughs) Allie McBeal, and Pippi Longstocking. (laughs) And then the male counterparts are the fool and, to some extent, the artist. Hmm. To some extent, the artist. That's what it says. Again, why does that not fit for the woman? Right. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if these ones are set in stone or if this is just, what's her name? Jennifer Ellis's opinions. But I think this one gets overused way too much. The maiden, the troubled teen, the waif. The damsel in distress, the princess, the victim, all of those in one. (laughs) And I think it's such a long list because this one is so overused. (laughs) So the description is childlike women who lets others handle the details of their life. They're often in danger and in need of rescue from a man. (laughs) Examples are ding, 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 Bella Swan, (laughs) Snow White, Yep. Can't, uh, can't argue that even though I'd no, like to. Yeah. She, mm. um, this one I don't know if I agree with. Dorothy in Wizard of Oz. I don't consider mm, I don't no. consider her a damsel in distress. No, wasn't she like the hero of all of it? Yeah. At the end? I mean, she's the one that gets everybody to Oz. Like the lion's too scared. The tin man was rusted in a forest. The scarecrow was hanging on a post. Like she gets everybody together and gets them there. She's the driving force of her story. Like, she's not waiting for anybody to rescue her. She goes, gets the job done. The job? The job done. (laughs) 
I mean, she does need help along the way. But I love that I wanted to go into all of this, actually. But I love that the main characters in Wizard of Oz are all women. Dorothy, the hero, is a woman. Galinda, kind of the sage or the mentor, she's a woman. And then the villain is a woman, the Wicked Mm -hmm. Witch. And that's so unusual. especially all the sidekicks are men. Yeah. The dopey sidekicks are the men. But Which, I, I don't I know do, what that I says. do get what they're where they're coming from is Dorothy is a very like wistful kind of out not out there but like naive naive sort of yeah. a character innocent yeah innocent Ugh. gosh and there's nothing wrong with being innocent if that's the story you want to tell yeah but is anyone truly innocent I mean how old is she supposed to be in this story <laughs> uh that's a good question I don't know younger than the actress was yeah. I don't know. I just don't I don't like it when people because I I don't want to f- go into all this, but I don't like it when people watch what they say around me because they're like, oh, Paige is too innocent. We don't mm-hmm. we don't want to we don't want to taint Paige because she's just the goody two shoes, little innocent girl, because it makes it feel like I can't handle life. They're like, treating you like fragile. a child. That's yeah, why. they're treating like, me like a children child. are quote unquote innocent. Right. And I think that Dorothy is supposed to be pretty young. Yeah. But and this I is, think that she part of the story, the part of the, the story is that she grows up a little bit. Mm hmm. Yeah. But all right. Ready. Ready to get mad. Oh. The male counterpart for this is nobody. <laughs> <laughs> there is no counterpart. There is no male counterpart. This only exists for women. How irritating. <laughs> Ugh. Can you imagine if someone wrote a story where they had to save a, a, a like a prince or save, yeah, save a prince, counterpart yeah. to a princess right. stuck in a tower? Someone should write that story. <laughs> I feel like that is so long overdue. There's got to be a story out there like Ugh, that. Please. If someone knows this story, please tell us. Gosh, darn it. <laughs> that just irritated me so much when I read this and the male counterpart is nobody. <laughs> It doesn't it's exist. It's true, though. Like, if you think a damsel in distress, nobody's going to picture a man. Right. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah, this is where Daphne should have fallen under. Yeah, I think Daphne is this category. And then the last one is called The Survivor. The description is distrustful and charming. will do whatever is necessary to come out ahead, including run away. And the only example that they give is Scarlett O'Hara. I would put her under a survivor... Mm-hmm. But I think she also falls under the seductress. Yeah, but she fits a lot better under survivor. Although I'm trying to, I'm not, I'm struggling to understand why they say a survivor is charming. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Scarlett O'Hara was charming, but that's just one character. Maybe just resourceful. Maybe that's what they mean. Because Scarlett is resourceful because she uses her charm to get yeah. through life. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes her an interesting character. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, but the male counterpart is for this one is also just the survivor. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. And that's not an exhaustive list. I mean, there are other archetypes, but those are pretty popular ones. Right, exactly. Yeah. Some thoughts that I had after reading that list is that I feel like women are often categorized and put into one of these archetypes. And they're not really given the chance to expand over multiple ones. Do you agree with that? I think so. In in the for the most for the part. most part, 
Yeah. This isn't 100% true, but I think a lot of times male characters are given that agency to go across different archetypes where they're given more depth and women are often just surface level. It depends on the story, but I don't know. I think I think what I'm looking at is like the blockbuster movies, the movies that people line up and sell out Marvel. Marvel. <laughs> the big like blockbuster movies nowadays the women are just so shallow. Like it's uh, it's a lot easier to put wim- the women characters into one of these categories than it is for the men. Right. The men are given more of a chance to expand on their character. The women are just like they stay within their category. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's true all the time, but I think majority the women are very cookie cutter. Well, I think that a lot of movies the protagonist is a man so the woman is in like a sidekick kind of a role or it's just a side character and then they don't have a chance or there's no need for them to develop as much as the protagonist right very good point yeah I think a big thing too like you were saying that women are given these side roles is often women are not given any agency even when they are in the main roles and I think depending on what era you're looking at it can be different but a lot of women, the the story just kind of happens to them. They aren't given any agency to make decisions. So some examples that I thought of, Phantom of the Opera, Jess, I know you love it, but what does Christine really do? <laughs> <laughs> like, she really doesn't make any decisions through the story besides kissing the ugly phantom at the end. <laughs> no offense to the phantom, but she, you know, has a heart sort of and kisses him which is a whole nother discussion but she really doesn't make many decisions through the plot to move anything along do you agree yeah it's just it's kind of run by the men in the story yeah but she's sort of kind of like the main character besides the phantom mm-hmm. but yet she has very little agency in her own story like right. the phantom literally kidnaps her <laughs> couple times couple times yeah <laughs> and then they sword fight over her and then yeah pretty much the only decision she makes in the end is kissing the guy yeah yeah and then leaving him anyway which is like that's showing like the only power that she had through the whole movie was just like giving away like her body sort of you know what i mean yeah gosh darn it <laughs> Another example I thought of, I don't know if anyone's going to know this movie, but this is another shout out to Caitlin, Thumbelina. (laughs) I saw that a long time ago. I remember nothing. The Don Bluth, like, animated Thumbelina movie. I thought of that. (laughs) Um, Thumbelina just doesn't really do anything through her story. It just kind of happens to her. She's constantly being kidnapped or thrown around or forced into marriage. (laughs) And... Yeah, she doesn't really do a whole lot. The men are ordering her around, and she's irritated the whole time, but she doesn't really do anything about it. Yeah. Uh, Princess Buttercup from The Princess Bride. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Talk about a story where she has no agency. Like, again, the only decision that Princess Buttercup really makes is almost killing herself in the end. Yeah. Like, what does she do in her story? Again, she's kidnapped. At the hand of a man 
And then she's kidnapped again by the man that li- loves her <laughs> and then reveals that he's him. <sighs> so there's this great video called Abduction as Romance by Pop Culture Detective on YouTube. Please watch it. It is so eye-opening to how much this is used in our culture today. Like, one of the quotes that he uses is that men who violate women's rights and autonomy are then rewarded with a romantic relationship, which once you realize that, you see it over and over again. Like, men who persistently wear down a woman, whether it's through kidnapping or just stalking or pursuing... 27 dresses. <laughs> yes. We just watched this yes. a couple weeks ago. Right. By the end of the movie... The woman just kind of is like, well, you spent all this time stalking me. I guess it's love. (laughs) So awful. Not to call you out, but I remember while we were watching this movie, you were, you like, every time this guy would show up, you were like, oh, this guy again. Like, it kind of seemed like you were rooting for him despite his stalker vibe. I don't remember that. Did I? I remember at one point he showed up and you were like, oh, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it, but it is, but that's how they frame, they frame, okay. They frame the story for you to root for the guy. You know what yeah. I mean? It is, it is such a mind game because they, they play it up so that you want this guy to win over the girl who's keep saying, no, leave me alone. Yeah. And you're just rooting on this guy because... Everyone loves an underdog. <laughs> so <laughs> you might notice that a lot of the guys in these films are often violent white males. And so they'll get away with this behavior. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Be- and it's because the audience will give them the benefit of the doubt. They're like, well, they're being violent and irrational and uh very forceful but because he loves her. he loves her <laughs> and he's an attractive white male so let's wait to see this play out <laughs> like no <laughs> but i think you'll notice also that a lot of the women in these movies and these books and these television shows or whatever it might be these women are often like really feisty and independent you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it kind of is so terrible because it'll show that these feisty independent women still need to be put in their place by a man. Yeah. And oh gosh, it's so irritating. It's like I feel like they do that cuz they 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 want some they they want the woman to like meet their match. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, look at her. She she doesn't she's so independent. She's happy with where she is, but oh look, there's a guy here. Who comes up and she doesn't know she needs him because she is happy the way she is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's terrible. <laughs> and you'll notice that this happens a lot in action movies, this whole abduction thing, especially like a guy will like I've never seen the Terminator, but that was the example that uh, this guy in the video used that. Um, this man goes back to rescue this woman from being killed by the Terminator. And the woman is freaking out because she doesn't know who the heck this guy is that's saving her. Mm-hmm. And the guy is telling her, like, stop it. Calm down. Stop screaming. I- I'm here to rescue you. And the audience knows that the guy is telling the truth, that he is there to rescue her. But he's being violent, aggressive, assertive. And the woman is freaking out. 
And she's being like the rational one. Like she is responding how you should respond (laughs) if you're being kidnapped by a man. But the audience is like, come on, lady. He's trying to help you. And I hate that because it's showing it's framing this woman as being naive and that she's being irrational for fighting back from a man who's kidnapping her. No wonder people think we're too emotional. (laughs) Gosh, it just makes me so mad. But watch this video, Abduction is Romance. A lot of the videos from Pop Culture Detective on YouTube are really good. He talks about um, the adorkable misogyny. It talks about, like, the guys in the Big Bang Theory, how they're super nerdy and they're also really sexist, but they get away with it because they're such dorks. Mm -hmm. And how Penny is so... Penny is so objectified by these men, but the audience forgives it because they're dorky, nerdy men who never get to see women, who never get to interact with pretty girls. So it's okay. (laughs) And it's like, no, it's not okay. And oh my. Okay. (laughs) So that's that rant. (laughs) (laughs) Page rage train moving on to the next stop. (sighs) All right. Toot toot. So with all of these problems, I feel like the modern movie solution for this is to simply substitute a woman in for the male role. And you can see this, such a perfect example of this is the new Star Wars series, because Luke was the protagonist in the original series, and now the modern take on it is that we have a female Luke. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have a whole lot of things to make her distinctly a woman going on. Or like the the new Ghostbusters that I didn't see. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was like all women. Right. There's a great quote by Britt Marling, who wrote the OA, by the way. <laughs> she says, we are annihilating the feminine as a force wherever it resides in women, in men of the natural world. Because what if we really mean when we say we want strong female leads is, give me a man, but in the body of a woman, I still want to see naked. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I find it annoying whenever it's obvious that somebody just took a male character and made it a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's obvious in just about every movie it happens in. Women in male roles are portrayed as powerful, but like with a sexy twist. Yeah. That her outfit is more revealing than a man's would yes. be. Can I can I pause you for like a yeah. quick second? Because I wanted to bring this up with Star Wars because Rey, her outfit is kind of similar to Luke's, like muted colors, this sort of thing. But she has like these little wispy things like flowing behind her to make it kind of look like she's wearing almost a dress. And it's like, why is that necessary? Like, Mm. it it just seems like such a clear effort to make her look feminine that's so lazy. You know what I mean? That and, like, in action films and, like, I don't know, I haven't seen the newest Star Wars, but fighting and combat is often sexualized when it's a woman. So women in these male roles are still there to cater to the male gaze. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. Cue the eye rolls. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you can see that they're making an effort to put a woman in this powerful position 
to make her the strong character that's the hero. Mm -hmm. But then there are still these little decisions that you can see. It's like, okay, yeah, but she is a woman, so she got to wear this partial dress thing. Yeah. She's got to have this sexy outfit. And I think it goes back to the archetypes because... What people are doing is they're drawing from male archetypes and just plugging in a woman. But if they were to go out in real life and take from real women of today, it would be a different story. Mm-hmm. Like if you put a real woman in Star Wars and let her make the decisions and portray her emotions, it would be a different story. Nope, they're too afraid of women's emotions mm-hmm. and they're not going to do that. And you know why this is happening? It's because so many of the people behind the camera are men. <sighs> so they don't know what a woman would do in these situations. So they just plug in all the male characteristics and put a woman's body in it to be objectified. <laughs> Ugh. So frustrating. I love it. I don't know the exact resource for this, but Britt Marling kind of summarized this in a great way. She talked about how the hero's journey is such an ancient, an ancient concept that, you know, a man and it's was created by men and it's for men. A man thinks often in a linear line. You go from here to here to here to here to get your goal. Mm-hmm. Right. She talked about how women often approach conflicts or struggles in a more circular or spherical spiral type of way. A man usually takes things head on and a woman will kind of walk around it. And I thought that was so interesting. (laughs) No, no. But she was saying that like a woman tries to take things from all perspectives. Yeah. She sees things differently than just a line. A woman will try to take things from different angles Mm -hmm. and I liked that and I see that in her writing she wrote the OA and you can see that the OA doesn't just go down a linear path she's trying to pick up the pieces and solve this puzzle kind of going from the outside in Mm -hmm. while a man would just stereotypically just face things head on and just focus on the end goal I think what the media is trying to present are ways that women can fight the patriarchy. Whether or not they're good ways (laughs) or they're well portrayed, they are more or less ways for women to stand up for themselves and lead the charge. But I think it's interesting that women are given these examples on how to fight the patriarchy, but there's very little examples on how men can fight the patriarchy. And a lot of a lot of this got me thinking because I watched this TED talk by Colin Stokes. It's called How Movies Teach Manhood. And he actually talked about The Wizard of Oz and a couple other movies. But he especially emphasized at the very end about how men, like, what are we teaching our young boys? A lot of times it's, there's not really anything out there to show them how to be how to be men that can be allies to women. And I think that's the world that we live in today is that women need allies. Like, we need to work together. And there's no, there's no examples out there for how men can do this. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. And it's not up to the man to, like, 
save the woman from this situation. No. They should be partnering. Exactly. Yeah, they should be partnering. And I think the way that we can do this is we need to also think of men outside of their archetypes. We need to start looking at real men in real life situations. And this is a great example. Another video from Pop Culture Detective was about Newt Scamander. Newt Scamander. And what a great breath of fresh air he (sighs) is to men and setting such a good role model for a male protagonist who's not your typical action, like, abject, like, (laughs) god of thunder, like, (laughs) you know, coming in to save the day. He is so different. Like, gentle. Yeah. He has a a lot of traditionally feminine Mm -hmm. characteristics. Yeah. And his strength is his empathy. And men don't even get a chance to show their empathy in a lot of movies and film and whatever else. And Newt because is... They're, because they're told that that's weak. Exactly. It's a woman thing. Women are meant to empathize and be gentle and caring and loving and kind. Men are having to do the dirty work. They don't got time for that. <laughs> <laughs> and Newt is just... It's so wonderful to see a man getting the chance to show that role. Where all my Hufflepuff men at. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I feel like it's so important to not only retell women's stories, but to retell what it is to be a man. And I think that's the best way to fight the patriarchy. Because we should be fighting the patriarchy, because that's what's causing all of this. And... Just because we're making women's voices louder doesn't mean that we want to quiet men's voices. We need to look at equality. And if we had the same number of women directors as there are male directors, it would be a different landscape of film out there right now. You know what I mean? Are all the Marvel movies directed by men? (laughs) Yeah, pretty sure. Wonder Woman was directed by a woman, though. Yeah, and you know what? Wonder Woman and all the Amazons were dressed fairly appropriately, right? Yeah, that was a big (laughs) thing. But then when I think Wonder Woman appeared in another movie with all of her Amazons and the movie was directed by a man, their outfits completely changed. (laughs) Like, talk about a great example. This is the same one? This is like a sequel? Something she appeared in. I don't know what it was, but she appeared in something else and it was directed by a man. And they looked completely different. So do we want to wrap this up and kind of connect it to our first, for to part one of this episode where we talked about writing characters and authors, the decisions that authors make in their stories? Mm-hmm. One question that Paige sent over to me in preparation for this was, should the audience of a story have the power to change the course of a narrative? And should the creators of that narrative listen? Where were you coming from with this? Um, I came right out of the newest Star Wars movie. <laughs> Very angry. <laughs> That's right. You did text me and you were like, I just saw Star Wars and I have so much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, because literally I feel like the last Star Wars movie that came out was just a fan fiction. Like dedicated to <laughs> fantasies of the fans. Because... All right, spoilers ahead. (laughs) 
Ray and Kyler, Kylo Ren? Is it Kyle? Kyle? Kylo. <laughs> Kylo. Kylo Ren and Ray have been shipped all over the place since the first movie. Everyone thought that they should end up together. And I... As well, it was my understanding it was her and Kylo, but also other people shipped Ray and... Oh, who's the, the Finn. pilot? Yeah. Finn, yeah. Is yeah. he a pilot? Uh, kind of, I guess. He flies around. That guy. That guy. <laughs> <laughs> but... There was really no room for there to be a romance between Ray and Kylo Ren. It didn't really make sense. It was forced. Narratively, yeah. It was so forced because, spoilers, the second before Kylo Ren dies, he kisses Ray just out of the blue. Because there got to be a kiss in there somewhere. Uh, it, like, there was, and there was nothing really leading up to it. Like, they had, like, a connection, but it was nothing romantical. I just feel like this is such a problem because it felt like the whole movie, they were trying to put the pieces in line so that this kiss could sort of make sense. Like, it felt like the whole movie was built around making sense of this kiss. And I think that this is a good example of how, I mean, this the, Star Wars is basing characters off of their own characters from previous movies. They're yeah. like, we gotta have a Han Solo and a Leia. Uh-huh. Like, we gotta have a Luke. And that's what Rey is. We talked about that earlier. I feel like it's such a dangerous thing to play to the fans. It's such a lazy thing. It is. I mean, they're just doing the same movies over and over again because they know people are going to pay to go see it. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's obsessed with Star Wars. Everybody's right. obsessed with Marvel. Everyone's obsessed with Disney. Like, you're going to go and see whatever comes out because it's that studio. Right. Yeah. But even... I feel like fans just feel so... Entitled. Entitled. Fans feel so entitled nowadays, and I think it's because of social media. It's so easy to get in contact or let your, like, a chorus of voices be heard. And I think of Game of Thrones. I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but I heard the ending was awful, and fans were furious, and they started a petition for <laughs> the, the creators to make a whole new ending. It's like, where do you come off <laughs> that you think you can go to these creators and tell them you're not happy with their product and you want them to redo it so that you'll be happy? Like, where is the respect for the creator? I mean, I definitely think that there are times when a creator rushes into a decision that doesn't make sense with the yeah. rest of their story. But I agree that, I mean, you don't have a right to no. tell to tell an author that they... They screwed wrote, up. That they wrote their ro their story incorrectly. That right. they wrote a character incorrectly. I remember when the cursed child came out, the mm. the script for uh, the the Harry Potter stage show that came out, and people were just all upset that two characters didn't end up together at the end, mm -hmm. and. I've also seen, and this is another, I mean, Harry Potter example, people, I remember seeing someone complain, and it was like a Tumblr post, but they addressed it to J.K. Rowling, and they were like, 
it's obvious that you wrote this character this way. Why would you, why would you say this? Or like, why, why did you write it this way? This is, this isn't what was supposed to happen. And I'm like, who do you think you are? Yeah. These are not your characters. You're here to enjoy them. And, but these didn't come from your head. You didn't write these. Mm -hmm. Another example is BBC Sherlock. Uh When the last season, at least I don't know if they'll ever make another one, but the way that it ended, people, not everyone, but there's a large following of BBC Sherlock fans who shipped Sherlock and Watson. And when they didn't end up together as a homosexual couple, everyone was like, how can you do this? It was obvious that you were writing them this way. And I'm like, no, (laughs) (laughs) just because you decided to take these characters and I mean you can write as much fan fiction as you want but it's not up to you Mm -hmm. to decide how these characters are going to end up right or what's really going on in their minds you Mm -hmm. can think that but they're not your creation right so you really don't have any right to go to the author and say you need to change this or I'm not going to read it anymore fine don't read it anymore Mm -hmm. then it's not for you yeah (laughs) That was my little soapbox. (laughs) Well, I think of uh, How I Met Your Mother. Have you ever watched that, Jess? Or heard of it, at least? Um, I've never watched it, but I I know what it is. Okay. It's kind of like a Friends equivalent. I used to watch it in college, and I remember when the finale came out, it was such a huge buildup for what the finale was going to be. And honestly i hated the finale i thought it was really stupid it it is what it is whatever you know it was Mm -hmm. disappointing and but the show needed to end that's how they ended it it was done but the fans were furious they started a petition and the creators actually filmed an alternate ending (laughs) like they redid the ending and i thought that was just such a weak trivial thing to do it just undoes it like undoes the whole series it's like well you know where was your conviction in writing this whole thing if you were just willing to change it for the fans at the very end yeah who's really writing this story yeah exactly yeah so i feel like people (laughs) we need to calm down (laughs) like it's not okay to petition to a creator that you're intending to influence in their story at least in our opinion yeah i mean this is coming from people who like to create especially i mean you're a writer i'd like to be a writer Mm -hmm. but i'd hate if people came to me and said hey your character is obviously not feeling like this they're feeling like this here's all the evidence i'm like no you're just taking that evidence in the direction you want it to go i could not imagine if someone came to me and was like you're wrong like you don't know what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> where do you get off? Like, I don't understand. I just, oh. And I feel like we just, our culture is so entitled these days in so many different ways. But I think this is just the ultimate epitome of that entitlement. And it's always, it seems to often be angry entitlement too. It's never like constructive criticism. It's just <laughs> like anger. Yeah, I was so mad when Star Wars Ugh, ended with that stupid kiss. But you didn't go and write to Disney and say, excuse me, <laughs> excuse these me. characters clearly are not in love. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. We just complained for a long time. Well, Paige mostly complained for a long time about 
archetypes and people writing them, writing characters in those archetypes that are pretty standard, but then now we're saying write the way you want to write. I feel like we just contradicted ourselves. Huh? Wait, what? (laughs) We spent a lot of time talking about women and how people write these women in these different archetypes that are just come up over and over again. If it's a bad ending, just make it bad. If people complain, just stick to it. Does this all come back to responsibility? Like we have a responsibility as creators to hopefully change the narrative. And if you want to write a story that's got tried and true archetypes in it, then go right ahead. But I think that there's a lot more room to be creative and an innovator and forge a new path in the film industry or in writing a book. You can do something that's never been done before if you get out of these standard archetypes. It's important to recognize that being a creator is hard. It's pretty much the hardest thing you can do. Yeah. Honestly. Especially when you're coming up with a whole world Mm -hmm. from nothing. Yeah. And I feel like maybe that's why people drift into archetypes because it is really hard to create people out of thin air. And a lot of times we just go to archetypes because they're already pretty much a cookie cutter that we can just make people into. It's a mold that's been used over and over. It's easily recognizable. And for the most part, people eat it up. So I think it's important to recognize that writing is hard. But I also think it's important to recognize that writing should be innovative, however small or big. I think the direction that our culture is going, it's important to break out of these stereotypes and these archetypes because I think you get into dangerous waters when you write women a certain way over and over and over again, or you write men a certain way over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. As much as we might not want to think about it, these stories really influence our lives and how we view people and how we act. This is such a silly example, but sometimes if I go see a movie that I really like the protagonist, who's a woman, I will do my hair different the next day. (laughs) (laughs) And just in like recognition of them, or I will think about how I dress. And I did this more when I was younger, but you see like a million little girls wearing frozen outfits. (laughs) Like people look up to these things. And that's why I think it is so important for an author or a writer of any sort to be responsible for what they're putting out into the world. Because a little girl might be dressing up as your female character one day. And that's such a big responsibility to have that kind of influence over people. And it's something that you need to really cherish and be very thoughtful of. Well, are you ready for this week's challenge? Oh, goodness. Oh. I feel like we just went on a roller coaster of a train. A roller coaster <laughs> of a train? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this is a pretty simple challenge. Okay. So our challenge for this week is to watch a movie that you've never seen before that's directed by a woman. <gasps> Ooh, oh, I like this. So I don't know if you find it on a streaming platform or if you have a DVD that you've never actually watched or 
if you really if you don't have access to a movie that you've never seen before watch one that you've seen before just make it one that's directed by a woman and see if you can find any differences in that movie versus one that might be similar than a man had directed Hmm, very interesting i like it all right friends go forth write your story whether it's on paper or film or your own life be the hero of your own adventure and talk to us on instagram (laughs) (laughs) at endeavor podcast and email us at EndeavorPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're able to give us a rating on our, on our podcast because we would love to get some ratings and reviews out there so we can hopefully share our podcast with a wider audience. Again, I'm really sorry if I offended anyone. My fortune cookie keeps staring me in the face. From listening comes wisdom from speaking repentance. <laughs> I apologize. My lucky numbers are 47, 32, (laughs) 17, 43, 14, and 54.